So I have climbed with literally hundreds, if not thousands of people over the years. Been climbing for 20 plus years, which uh, in our sport kind of makes you a veteran. You can still climb into your 40s, your 50s, your 60s. It's not like any other professional sport. But even though you've climbed with hundreds of people, as I have, the number of partners that you've gone through every climbing scenario with and uh, very many life situations with, and that's the person who we are going to interview today. His name is Sean Matasavich. In college, we used to call him Samson. Sometimes we still do. And this guy and I have been through everything together. And he's also been an important part of the climbing zine, which we're going to find out about later. This is going to be a special interview, and this is going to be the first in the Dirtbag State of Mind series of interviews. As I've said in, in just about every episode, the best way to support the climbing zine is to subscribe to it at our website or on our Instagram page at the link in our bio. And we're grateful for all, for all those new subscribers we've seen throughout this podcast. And uh, we're really excited to dive into this conversation uh, with Sean. And this is, this is an honor to be able to talk to him and have him as our first guest. So I've got my brother from another mother, Sean, here. Sean, how you doing? Great. Great. Thanks, Luke. All right. You're, you're literally probably the first person I've ever, ever interviewed on a, uh, on a podcast. So this is, this is really exciting. Yeah, you used the word uh, honor before. It's a pretty weighty word, and I would actually say the honor is all mine. It's really been a privilege to be a, a part of the climbing zine uh, from the beginning, and I'm excited to see this next step in the journey. Buddy Bear, I really appreciate that. So now that we're, you can tell we're all friendly and everything, let's, let's get right back to the, the beginning of our friendship. The first time I ever met you was, you know, this is kind of dating us, but pre-9-11, we were supposed to pick you up at an airport. I was with uh, our good friend, Greg Pettis, who's also a character in the book, and uh, Two Tent Timmy, who you actually gave Two Tent Timmy his nickname, but we can get into that here in a little bit. We were supposed to pick you up, and you were coming back from Alaska or something, and you had like fallen asleep in the airport after your flight or something? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. I was up in, in Alaska, came back down. I had a cell phone, but I don't think anyone else really had a cell yeah, phone. Yeah, you were like the first in our group that had a cell phone. Yeah. You still have that same number. <laughs> <laughs> Ended up, uh, yeah, falling asleep in DIA, and these guys were, were walking around, and, and eventually I heard my name paged over the, you know, the whole DIA <laughs> yeah. intercom. And we, we just like walked in. I, I think it was like pre-9-11, you could just like chill and smoke cigarettes and do whatever on planes before 9-11. It's really weird that they didn't lock that down before then. But so that's how we met. And you know, when I think about the early days of our friendship, uh, we you know we met through mutual friends, and we had, you know, I think our group of friends we kind of merged two groups. You know, mm-hmm. like you and Greg and and the rest of our friends, and then me and Two Tent, and we're all still kind of like friends to this day, which is really cool. Um, but on paper, I mean, of course, we we're going to be friends. We we both like The Grateful Dead and. Uh, you were really into fish. I was kind of phasing out of my fish phase. Um, but we, and, and we were both into climbing and biking and, and just on paper is like, yeah, we're going to be friends. But I would say me and you more than any of my other friends have, have kind of fought the most. We, we were really truly like brothers and I, I can't think of much of a middle ground. It's like, we were kind of casual friends and then we moved in together and then we were just like instantly kind of like brothers. And I'm sure there's a year or so where we were like casual friends, but to me, when I really reflect back on it, it was like we just kind of instantly went to becoming brothers. And I think there's a whole arc to our friendship, which we can dive into. And, and something else I was really thinking about in, in the course of our friendship is that we're the first, uh, we're the last generation, rather, that went to college without social media. Like social media, Facebook was invented. I mean, maybe we had MySpace in like our last semester. <laughs> maybe you did, man. Maybe, I yeah. that summer. Yeah, you skipped. You didn't have MySpace? No. <laughs> I definitely had MySpace. Still miss it sometimes. Um, so we we just, yeah, we, we really butted heads a lot, I think, as, as friends um, for whatever reason. Um, I think we're both maybe, um, who knows what it was. We're different people now, though, I think. You know, it reminds me of a story. We had just graduated college, and we were supposed to uh, go to Yosemite. And you got mad at me for something, some reason or another. Yeah. And I couldn't. You're like, you can't, you can't come, you can't come <laughs> in the car to Yosemite. <laughs> so, you know, I had to find a ride to Yosemite, and uh, you know, my roommate was going, but he had a, 
you know, a Toyota T100 with no back seat, and it was already him and his brother. So I had a ride from from Gunnison to <laughs> to Yosemite in the in the back of a pickup truck. Um, it was pretty epic, really. It's a long drive, and I I to this day cannot remember what we were arguing about either. No, no idea. No None. idea. Well, so. Some of our younger climbers, I think, Sean, one of the big reasons I want to do this is to connect with our younger climbers. Um, the people who are spitting images, I see them out there at the crags and, and on uh, social media and stuff. Um, and they are spitting images of what we were in. Um, climbing is, is heavy. You know, there's a lot of weight behind it. And that's another thing we can dive into. Um, but climbing is often, you know, really life and death. And it's different than if we were just like frat boys at some university and then like we're buddies in that. But I feel like climbing really sets you on a different trajectory in life. When I think about our peers, like how many of our climbing heroes have passed, how many of our, um, you know, just, just people that were like us that, that are no longer with us, that just being a climber kind of means life is going to be headier. Um, I think it's going to be more rewarding, but there's definitely going to be more it just carries more weight to it, I think, when you're a climber. So maybe that's why we don't remember these arguments and we really bonded. And um, that I think that'll come out of over the course of this interview of how we bonded and, and what you've really done for me with the climbing zine. And it really goes, it goes beyond climbing. But to start off, I, I want to connect some of these interviews to what's going on in the book. And, and there's these tangents. And what we were just talking about the car ride over, there are these stories that I just think that we've had that they just happened and then I never even wrote about them. Like I've written a ton of stories, but there's even still stories like the time we were driving my Subaru down the road after the outdoor retailer show and the wheels in my car just fell off while we were driving. Yeah. Very. <laughs> I mean, we almost died essentially. If if we had been a mile further up the road, we would have been up Little Cottonwood Canyon. And for those of you who have been to Salt Lake, you know, it's, it's a really twisty, windy canyon with some really steep drop-offs. And we were just about to get onto those curves and, and the tires literally came off the car. Yeah. And so we'll die. We'll get back into that story, but you actually were the first one to climb El Capitan, which I was really impressed with. You kind of had this Well, me year. and Warren. Me and Warren Harding. Yeah. You and Warren Harding. That's how old we are, people. <laughs> so you, you, you were the first of our group of friends to, to climb El Cap. And I was really impressed with that. You know, what's what's interesting about that is it's on that same trip where I had a ride in the back of the pickup truck. And I'm like, screw Luke. He won't yeah. let me ride with him. I'm <laughs> totally. going to go climb the L cap. <laughs> Show him. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so that that kind of goes perfectly into this story. So um, a few years go by after after graduating and we're... Um, you, you had this trajectory that we can maybe dive into another podcast, but you, you went all over the world and you ended up working in New York City and you got burned out in New York City, and you came back. Mm-hmm. And during this time period, I had moved away from Gunnison and moved to Durango, which is kind of near the end of the book. And we decide we're going to go to Yosemite, and we're going to go there in May. And there, I've had trips where you know things start off amazing right away, and you just ride that wave the whole trip. And this trip, everything was fighting against us in every single way. And we like re- went the wrong way. I think it was, you know, right before we all kind of had GPS on our phone and stuff. I remember you had that GPS you gave me. It was like the one you p- plug into the car and I felt fancy even having that. And we had no GPS and we were just winging it. Like in all the passes, it was a big snow year and all these passes were closed. And at one point we stopped and um, it was me, you and Two Tent Timmy were caravanning out and your old Saab and uh, Two Tent Timmy's Red Rocket Subaru. And we stopped to do some push-ups. That push-up session may have saved our life because we stopped and then we're going down the highway and we just see this woman frantically waving her arms and a semi had flipped onto one of these random highways in Nevada that we drive from Colorado out to Nevada and everyone kind of knows that space of driving out to Yosemite where it's just forever driving in Nevada. And this, this semi had literally just flipped yeah, and just about, I mean, a mile, half mile from where we we stopped. Yeah. Just up the road. It had, if we didn't do push-ups, we, we would have been crushed. Yeah, push-ups, kids. <laughs> push-ups will save your life. And, and the semi was like, I can't overstate the accident because the semi was completely sideways in the the road. It's it's like the the scene in Terminator where the semi flips and it just scrapes the entire road for, you know, 
200 yards. So that was the very first thing that happened. We get to Yosemite and we're with Two Tent Timmy and, you know, Two Tent Timmy is all throughout my books. And, uh, he, you know, he's my original climbing partner, my best buddy. And, but Two Tent Timmy was a free, it was and is a free climber at heart. Sean is an amazing aid climber and I'm kind of somewhere in between where, like many of us, I wanted to learn how to aid climb to climb El Cap. And, um, so we started off, we're going to like, we're going to do a practice run on Leaning Tower. And Two Tent has never jugged. Never ha- hauled. Never hauled. Has zero experiences with any of this stuff. But we're getting psyched. And I, I think the other part that I'm forgetting about here is that you are sick. You had just got back from Thailand. Mm, and yeah. you probably had dengue fever. I did, yeah. Is that, yeah. Yeah, the doctors, <laughs> the, the doctors said, we're, you know, we're 99% sure you have dengue, but this... This test is four hundred dollars. Uh, it's not gonna. Your treatment's gonna be the same. So save your money and just you know do X, Y, and Z. You know, I'm the type of person if I have dengue fever, I'm at home watching Netflix, like feeling sorry for myself. But your Sean's drive is uh, pretty out of this world, and probably your blessing and your curse, I'm sure. Um, but Sean is kind of the person that believes anything is possible, which is a great you know trait to have as a climber. But a climber going up into Big Wall, teaching one of our buddies how to aid climb. Uh, you know, the writing was probably on the wall, but we kept pushing. And before we even got on the climb, Tim was, had the haul bag on his back, like a backpack. And we're traversing these like fourth class ledges and he falls and he was clipped into a fixed line and that saved his life. Super sketchy. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of doing it in a day, we're practicing for bigger walls. So we wanted to haul on, on leaning tower. There's a nice ledge halfway. And if it weren't for that fixed line, um, always clip the fixed line, even if the terrain's easy, because it literally saved Tim's life. It, it saved his life. And that's, that's another thing too, is like telling these stories. I just, you know, climbing is, is full of risk. There's no way to make it not, you can do something stupid and die, uh, even if you've been climbing forever. Um, but I like, to, I like to tell these stories just as people that, especially cause I know we have a young audience as, as they're going into it. Um, if you feel paranoid and you feel overly scared, that's probably a good thing when you're up there because that might keep you alive. Um, so that was another thing. The writing was on the wall. And so Timmy takes this nasty fall, and I have a picture of him, and he has the whitest eyes, the thousand-mile stare, and he's got this cut above his eye. And uh, and then he has to learn how to jug. <laughs> <laughs> and the Leaning Tower, I think, is the steepest wall in Yosemite. It's one of the steepest granite walls in the world. And um, he has to learn how to jug in this situation. So we like lower him out and he's learning how to jug. And uh, we get up there and, and Sean, you, even though you have dengue fever, you're leading. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I can aid, but anything above like C1, C2, I'm just not into it. But Sean's really good at that. You know, I think in every uh, big wall situation, there's the, um, the aid master. And, and Sean is definitely that. So Sean, even though he has dengue fever, is leading. And, uh, then, you know, we're, we're a few pitches up and we kind of set the, um, Tim, Tim and I, there's this one long belay. I remember we were listening to Willie Nelson at the belay and it was just like the saddest Willie Nelson song. And I'm just like, what the fuck are we doing up here? Like, I hate this shit. Um, but I was, you know, I was really set on climbing El Cap and that was kind of like my life goal at that point. And, um, so we're just like, all right, well, we'll persevere. And then. We bivy for the night, and uh, oh no! One more story I think before we bivy is that you the dengue fever starts kicking in. <laughs> so I, yeah, I think we're at the spot where we're gonna bivy, and then we need to uh, we want to set up a fixed line for the next day or something like that. And um, I'm like leading up, and I look down and you had like just fallen asleep. <laughs> <laughs> And then you started like clipping things like the water bottles. You were just clipping them like just by their little plastic <laughs> holders. And, w- you know, we should have we should have been like, all right, we got a plan to go down. But we're still motivated. All We're all motivated to get this thing done. And uh, we we bivy that night. And uh, I, th- I think it was me that was the hot mess during the bivy because it, it kind of like clouded up a little bit. And we were worried about getting rained on. We also didn't know we had like a big wall book. I think like Jared Ogden and Topher Donahue's book about uh, big walls, and we were you were like reading the book in case we had to bail because we didn't really know how to bail off an overhanging wall. 
I think, yeah, I don't remember the book, but I do remember spending a lot of time, and it could have been with the book, thinking about, you know, okay, we're going to have to repel. <laughs> and how do you repel, um, you know, when you're overhanging 100 feet from, from the wall, and, you know, essentially it's just downating yeah. the, whole, the whole deal. You know, the time it took to downate, we, we probably should have just gone up. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So in the middle of the night, um, I have these panic attacks, and I wake up, and I'm like, we got to go, we got to go. <laughs> and like these night terrors and you, I look around at you guys and you wake up too. And you're like, dude, you're like nothing, nothing's happening. Like it's not raining, nothing's going on. And then I believe we, we woke up to a complete fog that morning. And so we decided to do the big bail, which I think bailing on big walls is a, a, a tremendously good skill to have. Yeah. Mandatory skill. If you want to play in, in the mountains, um, it's as important as being able to go up. But, you know, I remember, I remember that story. I remember being up on the ledge and, you know, every climber is going to have this situation where one partner wants to go up and one wants to go down. And, you know, I still wanted to go up. Um, and I didn't voice that that loud because, yeah. you know, I could see the, the terror in your eyes and yeah. Tim, is, Tim is bleeding. And yeah, Tim's bleeding. <laughs> He's like, fuck aid climbing. Like, I've never, he, he has never aid climbed since then. He's one, never one got, and only. yeah, one and done. And we, that was our, our fault for sure. We should have been like jugging at that boulder in Yosemite where you can do a bolt ladder a jug, but Tim, this is an invite. Uh, let's get back up. Yeah. There. Let's get back out there, Tim. But I mean, Tim, Tim was like, and I, I wrote about this in the book. He's like the guy that was climbing 10 D trad within six months of climbing. And just, he's a, he's a Zen. He's a really a Zen climber, very gifted. Um, and so we, we, we do the amazing bail and you know, like we're, we're, we learn how to bail on a um, really steep wall and we get down into the base. And by the time we got down to the base, it was like a bluebird day. <laughs> Couldn't have been nicer out. <laughs> and then like the, we're in the parking lot and these tourists, they do the thing, you know, they do the thing. And we're like, man, I, I think I just stepped away, you know, when you don't really feel like you know, I, I like to think myself as a pretty nice person and I, I like to deal, I, I can talk to people, you know, but I remember that day I was like, I can't talk to these tourists. I can't deal with the like, how'd you get your rope up there right now? Like, I just want to tell them to, you know, go somewhere else. But I think you guys talked to them. and um, Yeah, I was in a pretty good mood. I, you know, yeah. on the way down, uh, if you guys ever have a rest day in Yosemite, you can find a, a just a ton of booty below leaning tower <laughs> right. so, yeah, totally. so overhanging and i was like well if i'm bailing i'm gonna hike around and you know found some good stuff down there so some hooks and some pitons and warren harding's uh piton you probably found yeah yeah probably um so that trip was just one of those trips you know the weather rolled in and um weather can be fickle in, in the spring in yosemite and uh we went to um mark grundon we were staying at mark grundon's place another character in the book and Mark was like really good at like couchsurfing.com. So we like stayed in this place with somebody's rabbit. Remember they just like left us their house with this rabbit? Yeah, not, this is in Santa Cruz. This isn't a very like, you know, nice part of California. They have a house on the beach. We show up and they literally are like, here's the keys to our car. Use it if you want. <laughs> yeah. There's a rabbit. Don't let it out. <laughs> and so like, yeah, we were just kind of toiling around, you know. Uh, I think anytime you go to Yosemite with objectives, you look at every day where you're not climbing. It's just kind of a waste I don't really look at that stuff like that anymore. And I think you, especially with a kid, you don't really <laughs> have that, you know, if you're there with your kiddo, you're going to hang out with your kiddo. Um, but in that era, we were really driven and uh, we were just, every day was kind of a waste where we weren't climbing. And we had probably 10 of those days, two tent leaves. Um, and then we head up El Cap. That's true. Yeah. And uh, lurking, lurking fear. Yeah. Um, so we, we had up Lurking Fair with the portal ledge, and I remember another like omen from the beginning was I had this hardcover book. Do you remember that? <laughs> oh, don't get me started. <laughs> so I had a hardcover book. It was like uh, a BKS Iyengar um, yoga philosophy book, and you know if you're don't ever bring a hardcover book on a wall. Just don't ever ever don't ever do that. Uh, I'm sure like some of the Zen guys from the 70s did that, but. Um, not now, just don't, um, same thing with like glass bottles of glass beer or uh, Vic Zyleman wrote in the zine one time about being dumb and carrying like a glass bottle of whiskey or something like that, you know? So don't ever do those two, two things. Um, this is not an extra instructional podcast at all, but just don't do those things. Um, and so we, we start up, uh, El Cap and 
um, I'm getting pissed at the portal edge and, and you're happy. I think I have this photo of you with just this huge smile. And if you would have took a photo of me, it would have been a forced smile. But we're up there and we're doing our thing and days go by, like days. And uh, we're supposed to meet your, your girlfriend, uh, now wife, Amy, um, in, in Las Vegas after three weeks of Yosemite when clearly three weeks is enough time to be away from your girlfriend and also to get up a bunch of walls. And um, we were like day three or day four on Lurking Fear and it just wasn't happening. We were maybe at pitch eight. Yeah, if that. If yeah. that. And uh, we had uh, we had left some, some nuts and it was like a couple brassies. Like we were just, we kind of sensed the doom and, and I'm kind of legendary for really sinking nuts in there. Uh, or I was, I don't really even hardly place nuts anymore because I climb on sandstone mostly. But um, so you left a few nuts below our, you know, our high point where we're going to set up the portal edge. And, uh, you know, we're like day three, day four mark here. And, you know, we have the conversation, we're going to bail and like, we'll just get these nuts on the way down. And then out of nowhere, we see these speed climbers coming up. And it was this guy, uh, Tim and Jason, I'm, I'm blanking on their last names right now, but, uh, the, the gentleman, um, they actually passed away. They were the guys that died um, simul climbing on El Cap a couple years ago on the free blast. You know, absolutely tragic accident. Just stand up climbers. They had they had climbed El Cap a hundred times, but um, just amazing speed climbers. But we're just like, what the fuck? Like we have been on this wall for days, and these guys are like, this the coffee hasn't even worn off. And uh, one of them comes up, and he's booting our nuts. <laughs> And and we get into this co- like this guy. It just shows the like demeanor of climbers that like even if you're speed climbing, you want to booty these three nuts. And then we're kind of like embarrassed that we left them. So we're like, hey, those are our like kind of sheepishly. And he's like, oh, I thought you got. We like told him we were free climbing. <laughs> we like lied to him. <laughs> like no, we're free. We're working that pitch. We just left a couple nuts. And he's like, huh? It sure looks like you guys are eight climbing. <laughs> but he was it was really nice and, and gave him back and. Uh, I just remember one of the guy's uh, forearms, uh, and I, I, I get the two mixed up in my head. I can definitely see them both in my head, but one of them just had these bulging forearms, and he was so nice, and they obviously climbed Lurking Fear in a day that day, and, and we uh, learned the great art of bailing once again, and then we had a great time in, in Las Vegas, but um, man, that was that was just one of those trips where nothing was in our way, but... I think the silver lining of that whole thing is we continue to be friends and, and get along. And I think anytime you, you're just like banging your head against the wall with a buddy, it can really go both ways. I mean, I'm sure we've all had uh, climbing experience where things get tense and then you have this feeling like, I never want to see this person again. I never want to climb with them. And with us, it, it was a complete opposite, you know, um, complete opposite that uh, we kind of we kind of grew together uh, out of that experience and have gone on to have a million more experiences. And I, I think that's the main one that's in the book that uh, that I, I cherish those memories and I hope I still hope we're gonna climb El Cap El Cap someday. Yeah, I do too. And yeah, really, you're gonna progress and grow out of your failures. Absolutely. You, yeah. Looking back at life, you know, you think you, know, you winning is great, but you don't learn that much. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's almost essential. Like I almost. I've started to enjoy failure in climbing because if you start to enjoy it, I mean, you look at like Tommy on the Don Wall, um, he was just enjoying every moment of that process. And if he wasn't, he probably would have never done the Don Wall. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, embracing that failure and even actually striving for failure. Yeah, yeah, striving for failure. I like it. Uh, so that that's one of, of just, you know, many funny experiences we've had. Um, yes, yeah, so we went to Vegas and, and later in life, I was actually the officiant in your wedding with Amy. And that was an honor. Now I'm thinking like we, we didn't, we weren't really successful in the big wall world. We've done a lot of cool free climbs together. Yeah, no, we were uh, very much unsuccessful over, you know, seven or something. Yeah. But you contributed to my success because the next time I got on El Cap, actually I, no, I, yeah, yeah. So the next time I was thinking, I've, I've bailed off it twice and then was successful once. So the next time I was on El Cap, we did the Salate, which was the route you did as well. Mm-hmm. I did it with Dave Aaron's, and we were successful. So like that trip actually contributed to my success. And I'm just blown away that people climb El Cap like more than once, <laughs> you know, because it's in, hard <laughs> in two hours. Yeah, in two hours, it's just mind blowing what's going on right now. Um, but you know, talking about failure and talking about growing in life and 
as a person, um, I really um, leaned heavily on you. So you you came back from New York City with um, you've always been a business savvy guy. You always have. Okay. Um, and you know, I think out of a group of climbers, uh, every 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 group need needs maybe a capitalist <laughs> or uh, or someone who kind of shakes people and be like, you know, this dirtbag lifestyle is great, but you need to tuck your pennies away. It's a good idea to have a little rainy day fund. Most, most of us don't. I never did. Um, never had health insurance or any of these things while we were dirtbagging, but it's, it's always a good idea to, to think about that stuff. And I think naturally all of us dirtbags when we hit our thirties, um, some sort of awakening happens where there, for me, it was an injury where I was dirtbagging a winter in Salt Lake City and with our dear friend Adam Lawton um, was living there. And Adam is a big character in the book as well. And uh, we're, uh, I, w- I was struggling because I, I was dirtbagging without climbing. So I was just like living in a basement, unfurnished basement, super cold. You could see your breath. Um, I was washing dishes at night and I was like, man, like being a dirtbag without climbing is kind of depressing. And so I, I went into the uh, world of writing. And then uh, as, uh, as some people might know, um, some of us aren't meant for that nine to five uh, world where you're taking orders from other people. I know Sean and I are both, um, you know, kind of entrepreneur type people where we are best when we're the boss, when we're calling the shots. So I started this thing called the climbing zine and the climbing zine wasn't started to make money. It was to create art. Um, but I started doing it when I had a nine to five and I was working in higher ed and, and doing PR. And that was just one of the best experiences of my life. I was working in my alma mater where we met. Um, they've changed names since a couple times since we've been there, but Western Colorado university in Gunnison is, is what we're talking about. And then I, you know, in the downturn of the economy, the last big recession, um, you know, circa at the end of the last decade around like 2009, 2010, the economy uh, went to shit as it always kind of does. It has uh, ups and downs and I'm, I'm like doing the climbing zine, but I'm on, I'm unemployed. So I'm like living off very little money. I'm house sitting. I enjoyed it. You know, I think climbers were, were really good at making the best of it. You know, I got over my tendonitis injury but Sean sat me down, and, and I think all of us need this uh, at a certain point when we're having these visions of like, I want to do this for a living, or I want to even just create this. And Sean really got into the trenches with me and was like, we're going to do this. And originally, maybe I was thinking, all right, Sean, we're, we'll start it, we'll make some money, and then we'll be like 50-50 partners. And it never happened like that. It was all volunteer, and um, it... It all started with um, Sean like believing in the zine, and I don't know what did you see in that originally. I think more than in the original product, I saw in you the passion and the light, the fire in your eyes. Um, I think what you didn't mention in this this intro here is that that time in Salt Lake was incredibly dark for you. You were not in a good place mentally you were not in a good place physically um and then all of a sudden there was this amazing light in your in in you and seeing that type of passion mm. i think one of the most fulfilling things anyone can do in their in their life is is help other people achieve their dreams at least for me and uh, you know it it was very clear very early on that this was uh, your passion and your destiny and if i could help you in any way then you know, that was, that was my obligation mm. as, a, as a friend to, to make sure that that happens. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. And we don't see the, we don't see that stuff in ourselves a lot. And I think that's what our, the duty of, for us being good friends is to see something that someone maybe hasn't seen yet. Yeah. Um, so the, and specifically what about the zine though? Was it, was it more just me or was it the zine? No, the the zine itself was an incredible product as well. You know, it was this it was the stories that traditional climbing media doesn't tell. Like, you know, I know for me personally, and for a lot of people I've I talked to, no one cares about the the latest five fifteen send, you know, by X Y and Z gym climber. It just doesn't matter. The true essence of climbing, you know, the stories that really shape us as climbers and that we can share. That's what the zine covers and. There was no voice for that. Mm. And this is before podcasts too. 
Yeah. Absolutely. Before we had the Enorma cast, you, you really believed in it. And like I said, I, I thought we were going to be like 50-50 business partners in this <laughs> eventually. And I just kind of ran with it. Also, it was interesting. So we're starting going to outdoor retailer. And I highly recommend for any young person who wants to be in this industry, this industry is just blowing up right now. Um, I feel like it's, it's interesting because I think we like outdoor retailer more than anyone. Love it. Huge fan. I mean, and we've met, we've just met some of the most incredible people through that. I, I think a lot of people in our industry view it as this obligation and maybe we're more extroverts uh, or maybe we're just more people, people. Um, but we, we like loved it and, and we got the first, we, we learned a lot about building relationships uh, in this industry. You know, one minute you're you're talking to someone who's helping you get a review on some quick draws, and the next minute this person is like running a, a big company. Um, so I, I think you know we walked into the outdoor retailer, our first outdoor retailer show, and this is a good transition to talk about our friend Adam Lawton because right when uh, the zine was kind of just starting to be a thing, and we're introducing it, we're getting in front of these companies that if you look through the zine, they're sponsoring them and. Um, a lot of these big companies have sponsored us. We've had really long-term relationships, and I'm just beyond grateful for it. But our first outdoor retailer show, um, I remember three days before we go up, I, or three or four days, I call my friend Adam Lawton and leave a message on his machine. I'm like, hey, can we crash at your house? He just bought a house in Salt Lake City. And that was the fucking, that was the day he died. Yeah. And uh, he died in an avalanche uh, skiing in, in British Columbia. And um, Adam was like the leader of our group. He was, I still consider him to be the spiritual leader of our group. I think he's still there um, guiding us on. But underneath this, um, this just complete darkness that we, we easily could have fallen into despair and, and not communicated with one another. But Sean and I hopped in a car and drove to Salt Lake. And we, it was very fitting because we just drove through this terrible storm. Yeah, nonstop. Uh, not only that, but we were lost. Around, around <laughs> yeah, Salt Lake. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> Again, pre GPS. <laughs> That's a good lesson too. And I think you know, loss is is a huge thing. And I, I'm really I'm I'm happy to see the you know the grief fund with the American Alpine Club of that we're we're coming up with systematic ways in our industry um, to deal with loss and grief. And I, I'm really proud of our our um, climbing community and the greater outdoor industry to rally together. But um, through this deep loss, um, this is when the climbing zine started to get its first sponsorships. Um, and I think people just, you know, I think we had a stapled together black and white zine at that point. It's true. It wasn't, it didn't have a binding. It didn't have color photos. And the, there was probably literally no money behind it. Like maybe the one ad from a company was like, they gave me a backpack. And I was like, you get a full page ad, <laughs> you know, you gave me a backpack. Um, but we made like some of these contacts in the industry at OR, and if you have a light, if you have uh, a spark, and uh, I think the climbing industry more is, in my mind, the climbing industry, the outdoor industry is the best industry to be in. Um, you know, we, every industry and in, in things have has its high points and low points, and I love being in this industry. And talking to the people that work for these companies, they are the people that have been in the industry for a long time, and they really respect passion and authenticity and I'm not joking at all. Like I'm, I'm, I'm. If you have those things, then you also have a work ethic. You could find your way into this industry, and that's exactly what happened to us um, at the Zine. Uh, and I want to back up just to just to talk about Adam Lawton a little bit more because I've written about him, and his spirit is very hard to capture. And uh, he was, um, he was, he was one of those people that was really into fish in the dead and quite frankly into, you know, psychedelics. And at one point, you know, dove deeper into uh, the darker drugs. Uh, and luckily I think he found his light um, through finding these same highs, skiing and climbing and rafting. And uh, he, he kind of had this vision that was like, all right, we're all going to graduate college and then we're going to live all over the place and we're going to, just everywhere we go, we're going to have a place to crash and we're going to do all these awesome things. And that vision has completely come true. It's true. Yeah. I mean, we have friends from coast to coast. We have friends that live in various countries. I mean, Greg Pettis lives in Thailand. You can just go to Thailand and have a friend. Yeah, Thailand, Mexico, folks Thailand. all over. Folks all over. So I feel like we're still living out. Do you feel like we're living out Adam's vision in some weird way? Yeah, absolutely. I think... Um 
you know, Adam was the type of guy when you asked him, you know, hey, Adam, how's your day? He would say, today's the, the greatest day of my life. And he would he would 100% mean it. And you'd ask him again the next day. <laughs> yeah. Adam, how's your day going? It's the greatest day of my life. Yeah, blonde hair, blue eyes, like just, cr- yeah, an awesome energy. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, he, he was like the, op- the, the opposite of office space where the guy's like, man, I thought yesterday was the worst day of my life but today was the worst day of my life. <laughs> and uh, that's, that's just to- totally how Adam was. And, um, and he, uh, yeah, I think when he passed away, I think I realized that you pass away from this world, but you're still here in this way that is mysterious. And, and I feel like he's guided the success of this. And if, if you're listening, you're part of his vision, I feel like. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Because you can imagine, you know, one of your best friends, you know, dying days before you get to, to go visit him, um, but we felt we still needed to go to honor his legacy, and it, it gave us a courage in outdoor retailer. For those of you who have been there, you know it's your first time is pretty intimidating. You know, you you're, you see CEOs of of Black Diamond and professional athletes, and you know you see the heroes of uh, uh, both of the companies and the, and the athletes and we harnessed his energy and we were able to go into those meetings and we might not have been successful in getting an ad, but we sat down with those people and built relationships and we're able to go back the next year and land ads. Yeah. And I, I think he's, it's interesting, you know, just the, um, how, how we are as human beings and how, you know, you, it's amazing how big the zine is now. Like I, um, it's very specific. Like I go into a climbing gym in Denver and no one knows who I am, but if I go to a wall on the Creek, a lot of people know who I am and, and they know who I am because of the zine. And they're like, Oh, you're Luke Mihal. You know, I get, I get that. But just as much of this is Adam Lawton. And he, he's not a name that, um, he, he, if Adam Lawton would have wrote a book, just like I tell our friend Greg Pettis, I'm always telling him to write a book because he's got, 10 times more interesting stories than I do. Like we're like hanging out in in Thailand a few weeks ago and he's like, Oh yeah. And that was the time I smoked a joint with Willie Nelson at Ram Dass's house. (laughs) You know, (laughs) and you're like, what? (laughs) That's a great story, G man. Um, and Adam was that person too. So, um, I think every crew has that, uh, visionary too. And I think that, um, you know, everyone should know that name, Adam Lawton that, that knows about the zine because he's, he's very important and he still guides us and, he was just the wildest, wildest dude. Yeah. Any any other you know hints for people that are um, might be interested in the outdoor industry or just business tips in general? I think it's very helpful. I think us as climbers and outdoor enthusiasts, it's very helpful to be we we kind of like doing things our own way. And I think for me, the great the last two three years of my life have been the greatest years of my life because I've had the most freedom. And it's not that same freedom of when you're young and in your twenties that you just so free and, um, you know, I have more responsibilities than ever, but through business, I, I feel this incredible, incredible freedom. And it's, it's not because I'm making a lot of money. I I live a very modest middle-class lifestyle as you do too. Um, but that freedom, um, gives me, it's just the feeling of it is, is unbelievably awesome. Uh, I don't know if you have any other thoughts on that or advice for for young people that are transitioning from dirt bagging to what what else is next. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The the first thing and probably the most important thing I would say is that you don't need anyone else's permission to be successful. A lot of people are waiting for something to fall in line or for someone to tell them, "Yeah, you can go ahead and do that." You don't need anyone else's permission to be successful. If you have a vision, if you have a dream, go out and go for it and don't worry about what anyone else says because the world is made by people who are breaking the rules, not by people Mm. who are following them. Yeah. There's this great Nipsey Hussle quote. Uh, I'm always quoting hip hop guys and Sean's like, who's Nipsey Hussle? (laughs) You you probably know who Nipsey is, but he's like, uh, he's got a quote about how, you know, the brave person in the world makes the world adapt to him or her. Yeah. That's exactly uh, where, right. you know, a lot of people just go through life and, you know, they get a no and then they, they're like, oh, that vision's not going to work out. You know, like I get all, I, I get a person every day tells me they want to be a writer. And I think 1% of those people are actually going to become writers because 
the and it goes back to failure too. It's like the in any any young writers like even with me, if you've emailed me once and you didn't hear back from me, and you think that's a uh, you think that I didn't like your story, or you think you don't have a chance, email me again. And then if you don't hear from me in a week, email me once more. You know, like that perseverance, uh, I think is a great a great idea. And sorry, I cut you off. I just wanted to quote Nipsey Hussle. Yeah, I got to get a little <laughs> Nipsey in there. And yeah. uh, no, I don't know who that is, but I'm sure he's great. He was great. Yeah, he just, he got killed last year, sadly, in front of his store. He was an entrepreneur. I'll tell you about him off the air, but everyone look up Nipsey Hussle if you haven't already. He was a very visionary entrepreneur. Um and sorry, you, I think you were going somewhere with that too, of just not um, not being, getting discouraged by no's, but also not having um, like a traditional job. You got to ask your boss if you can do a project. Where um, we live in the United States, like I think a lot of people, and I think I think traveling the world gives us that perspective too. I don't think you can truly realize how much privilege we have, and not just because you're a certain race or a gender. Like if you are living, if you're listening to this right now and you live in the United States or another um, country that is, you know, has some wealth, um, the resources we have are just insane. I, I think of like the side hustle a lot. Like you can have your job and you can also have this side hustle that, and that can grow into your your main um, your main gig. You yeah, know? That's, that's right. You look at, you know, Every one of y'all listening probably is listening on some type of device. And, yeah, you know, in your pocket, you have more power than the president of the United States had 100 years ago. Totally. And you're going to use that to crush candy and, and yeah. throw birds through the air? Like, let's grind. Let's hustle. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think something I think is interesting, too, with uh, social media and Instagram and stuff. But it's like we have the most Instagrammable moments as climbers. But we're not doing that, you know, like I was just blown. I, I feel like I, I learned about social media so slowly because I, I, I think some things are stupid. Like, oh, I never reply to comments because that's dumb. Like just today, I, someone was writing a negative comment on my page and I try to reply with compassion. And every time I do that, the person replies back to me with compassion. Yeah. It's really interesting, even though they're calling you a shithead in one minute and then the next minute um, they're getting on board. But I, I was just blown away how like people are dying getting selfies. You know, like that to me is so tragic. But um, as a climber, we're getting, you know, you pull your phone out in this moment and you're getting that photo that these people like drive all the way across the country for. And uh, yeah, we're, we're just living. And I, I think using your climbing experiences to inspire other people too is is really more easier than ever today, you know. And then there's these, these realm of, of social media influencers or you know, the van life stuff, like some of the stuff I just still don't even understand. We're just kind of old school, but I, I feel like I slowly try to study these things and understand it. And God, the opportunities are out there right now as for climbers and for people that want to live creative careers. It's like, you know, I, I think there's a lot of bad things going on in the world, but the, um, for me, the optimism of the opportunity is these opportunities weren't there 20 years ago. Uh, and I remember you used to uh, kind of bringing it back to the college days. You used, you used to always kind of, you know, Sean was sitting me down for 10 years before I listened to him. Because mm. you you were like, you know, we'd be at these film festivals and like, you need to go talk to this person. You need to start working on a film or working on these projects. I'm like, no, man, I just kind of want to smoke weed and get drunk. <laughs> you know, like you, you were you were pressing that message on me. And I have different friends. I that are like, oh, I want to be a photographer. Um, and I'm like, well, post on Instagram every day. You know, get some product from these companies. It's it's, it's incredibly easy to do, especially friends that are connected with us. And um, he, like, uh, you got, sometimes you got you to gotta encourage them for five years before they even realize that they can do that. Um, but I, I know people that are working in jobs that they don't love and they have this passion in... Uh, they're not dedicating enough time to that passion and they might be stuck working these shitty jobs that they don't like when they're 50 or 60 because they didn't take the time to work on their passion or they weren't brave enough, you know? Yeah. And a lot of it is the, the folks around you, you know, yeah. so many people choose safety over freedom and you got to remember when someone's talking to you, the difference between advice and opinion. You yeah. Know, you, my folks have not done well financially. Mm -hmm. uh, sorry, mom and dad, if you guys are listening, but, um, you know, it's just true. And so whenever my mom is giving me financial, you know, air quotes here, advice, I, I literally just don't listen because mm -hmm. what, you can't take advice from someone who's 
not successful. Mm-hmm. So the difference between advice and opinion is is drastic. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and just, you know, inviting everyone to uh think about um think about that friend that that does have this writing talent or photography um or they have that entrepreneurial spirit to really help um blossom that person and um you know, I think I was, you know, going back to the weed and stuff. I was just like a weeded out college kid. And I had these visions, but it took it took a long time um, for these to come to fruition because I had to grow up. But you never stopped encouraging me to go to where I want to go. And then um, now I'm on the verge of this thing that's that's kind of exploding in popularity. And it's really benefited my life. So I'm really grateful that you you did that for me. And, and everyone listening Think about that friend you have if you're a little more successful in your own realms. And you've been successful in a variety of ways, but you also had to tweak your career back to what's going to make you happy because New York City was not making you happy, although you were successful and you made some money. ton of money, um, you know, expense accounts and, you know, fancy dinners and and, and all of that. And but God, did I feel like a spy the entire time? You know, I'm, oh. like, I'm just going to gather up knowledge and take this back and spread it out to to the people because this is not me. You know, working. You know, the idea of nine to five would have been nice. You know, I was working twelve, sixteen hours a day. Um, you know, very often sleeping at the hospital, uh, the excuse me, the office, or getting a hotel next door. Terrible. But I, God, did I learn a lot. Yeah, and I think our society, like I'm a big, you know, that G- Gary V guy I was telling you about. Uh, we were talking about Tony Robbins yesterday. I feel like there's these big motivational people out there in the world, but to a climber, outdoor enthusiast, those things don't apply to us because for us, our time outside is our greatest capital. That's exactly right. Yeah, time. Uh, I think there's a big, you know, Gary V's like eat shit for ten years. Um, you know, live frugally. And climbers are great at living frugally, but we also got to buy these $1,000 racks. Yeah, $1,000 racks. And you don't want to spend your time grinding, you know, the entire time. We want to be out there enjoying climbing, getting out into freedom. In in these years of 20 to 30, you don't have those years back. When you retire, if you get to retire in your 60s, I mean, you're not, you don't have that 20-year-old body. So I think that, and, and the reason I'm really diving into this um, here with Sean is is that's kind of where we converge, but I think it's also where people can maybe get the most value of um, maybe they have this motivational speaker that they're following. But for climbers, like, yeah, we just have a different currency of uh, our free time and our climbing experiences. And I try to talk to as many young people as I can now. And um, I was recently talking to my friend John, who is is moving back to Durango, and he was in the Midwest. And he knows I wrote about my um, depression and uh, big issues that I had in that time period. And he's like, you know, I'm really feeling the pressure to uh, get a job back here. But I just lived in Durango and, and worked for this, um, you know, trail, bidi- trail building core um, type organization. And he's like, that was the happiest I was in my entire life. And I'm like, man, it, if you, you know, if you're in the Midwest, you know, taking care of a family member or whatever, sometimes you got to do those things. But you're 20-something, and you're telling me, you know, this is what made you the happiest, being outside, making whatever, 12 bucks an hour, but then still having time to climb. Like, I'm, I'm trying to push people in this direction of, you know, follow, follow your passion and, and try to get these experiences outside, especially if that's what's driving you and that's what's driving, like, your happiness. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I feel like um, climbers, we're just different, you know? Yeah, hundred percent unemployment. That would, you know, that would be my goal. hundred <laughs> yeah. percent unemployment because, you know, look at the climbing zine. That's your passion. You've created something that's not only made more joy in your life, but has spread joy to, to countless other people. And if everyone was unemployed and could just put their time and energy behind what made them happy, like you show up, you do your best, you're going to be better for the people around you, and society will be better for it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, to me, to me, that's really interesting of that as a a social, like a currency in society, because 
American society is the complete opposite of that. So we all kind of, we, we need someone to tell us it's okay to do that. And I think for us, it was probably um, the old school climbers that we, um, we revered and looked at, at photos of. And um, they kind of gave us permission to do that. And then we had to find our own way from there. But I feel like now there's this middle ground where people like you and me can, um, we've lived these lives and now we can say, all right, it's not all about that dirtbag dream. Like that, that dirtbag dream is an awesome period and it almost inevitably leads to burnout though. It's true. It's true because we go too far. Yeah. I remember living in Joshua Tree for I don't know oh, yeah. what month I was in there. Yeah. And it just struck me deeply to my core how selfishly is I was living. And I want to be really clear that um, taking self-time is not selfish because it's going to allow you to show up for the people you need to show up for in your life. But there's a difference. You can go too far where you are literally, you know, I didn't do anything but rock climb every day for, I don't know, a year. And it felt, at the end, it felt hollow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then if you surround yourself with people that are like that, and I, I think there's this in, in the, the note I want to maybe end on is just our responsibility to the planet, which um, is is really a, a big thing. And I think in college, we were all kind of, um, no matter how capitalistic we are now or we were then, um, we, we all care. That's the other unique thing in society about climbers is that we spend so much time in nature that if you do take it for granted, I mean, I think that's a pretty big, like, I hate to use the word sin, but um, if all you're doing is taking, it, it feels, I think that might be the the key of the emptiness of it. Because uh, a, a whole life, I think, you got to give back. And I think, you know, we're in a ecological crisis right now with the climate. Uh, you just recently became a father, you know. Uh, I'm not a father, but I am, you know, getting married soon and I have <laughs> an insane amount of nieces and nephews because I, <laughs> um, my fiance's uh, family is huge. So I feel this responsibility to them just as much as I would feel to my own child. So um, I, I think there's this, uh, this giving back that we, that a lot of the young climbers kind of inspire me to of, of maybe transitioning into career sooner or, um, just writing about it. And, uh, you know, I mean, like the face of the <laughs> climate change right now is a, what a 14 year old yeah, girl, which is, is sad because our, you know, we knew about climate change when we were in college. Um, and we were unable to, you know, I think that's another thing too, as a climber, you realize you'll kind of never change the world, but you've got to keep doing things that keep you hopeful, keep you optimistic. And, um, I don't know where I'm going with this and I don't think there's an easy answer to the environmental crisis right now, but I, I think that overall we get to see the beauty of the earth almost more than any other group. I mean, there are, you know, I think obviously the indigenous way of life living off the land is the blueprint for harmony with mother nature, but you know, that's been really damaged, um, by the industrial revolution and everything. But, um, let me say one thing about um, young folks, and I want to say something specifically to millennials out there. Man, y'all keep up the good work. You know, all these articles you read about millennials killing this or killing that, it's, yeah. they're all things that need to die. You know, the millennials are the f my favorite people to hire because they have so much passion. If If it's a project that's meaningful, there is so much passion there. Millennials don't want to work in a bullshit job, and no one should want to work in a bullshit job. So y'all keep up the good work. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I, I think that's a big thing. Yeah, like the any any I I I am a news junkie, but I also just laugh at so many articles. You know, like the people pull. You know, I think there's this uh, this writer uh, Bob Woodward. I think that's his name for the Washington Post. He's like, there's this whole like niche of people that are predicting the future now in politics, and I think with you know, the environment is the same thing. You know, I think there's so many creative things out there and, and we're, we're inspired by you. And I think you're going to do better than, than our generation did. Uh, although we are all kind of the same, we're kind of like, uh, ex millennials. We're like on very much on the, on the cusp, you know? Um, Sean, do you, uh, do you have anything, um, anything to add to, uh, this, this big conversation we've had, um, 
obviously we didn't plan on um, it to really revolve around freedom, but that, that makes a lot of sense that it did because I think Sean and I are both obsessed with um, not, um, really not, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Compromising for uh, an average life. We are obsessed with freedom. We are obsessed with um, being happy. And I think we've, we've both grown into who we are, and I think we're going to continue to grow. Um, but so much of it comes down to that freedom that we experienced in climbing and how much we got out of nature. Yeah, I would add, uh, going back to OR, I know there's some people listening right now that have some dreams of working in the outdoor industry, whether it's they want to be a pro athlete or they want to design shoes or they want to write about the outdoor industry. Get your way into OR. Find you know, I don't want to say steal, but you know, find a way to get yourself in there. And if you're creative and you have the drive, you can get in there. And doors are going to open in that room. Don't sound desperate. Just talk to people. Let them know what you want to do. Let them know what your passion is, and doors will open. Yeah, and just to piggyback on on Sean's thought too, I think you know we talk to a lot of people that just dread going to OR. And, uh, and things like that. And I, I think we also get caught up in a lot of fake conversations, like looking at gear. And <laughs> there's this thing that we used to do to each other. We used to, the climbing scene used to review gear. And the reason we don't anymore is because people do it much better than we do. And I've always wanted the climbing zine to do whatever we do. We want to put our, um, if, if we're not the best, you know, we might be a little rough around the edges, but we're putting our heart and soul into it. And we're, and we're being um, creative and I remember at, when we used to go look at gear, you know, these people show us gear. And some people are, are great friends in the industry, but sometimes we're just, we don't want to look at this gear. Like, we don't care about another average backpack. And so we would pass each other off. Like, <laughs> we'd, we'd stick the other person with uh, the person who was, uh, it makes us sound like jerks, but it, it was all with brotherly love. So if you, like, pass the person off to someone else. You kind of won and then you owe the person a beer or whatever. <laughs> so true. Yeah, so yeah. True. But yeah, everyone really, uh, to sum up this this conversation, um, you know, American Climber was, began um, as, a, as a way for me to write my story. And uh, it, it began at the hardest point in my life. At this point in the podcast, we've um, read the whole book. For some reason, you're listening to this episode before. Uh, go back and listen to the the book, but it really, it really sought out as, as my, my journey to, um, kind of self-medicate on nature and to kind of heal the wounds of depression that I had coming out of, um, a bad situation that was just, it wasn't like anything bad happened to me. It just, I had really bad mental health issues and, and I essentially ran away from Illinois and ended up in Colorado. And I, uh, I met these people like Sean that, uh, gave me my life, you know? So, um, don't, um, and I think we've learned, you know, also, you know, talking about loss that, um, we, we have to, if there's that friend that you want to go do an adventure with, you got to, you know, and I think like the death of uh, Kobe Bryant, the society, um, it was, it was really interesting to see the society react to Kobe because I think his climbers were almost numb to young people dying and legends dying. And it was cool. It was really, I don't want to say cool, but it was, it was helpful. And, uh, Something I heard out of that from from several people is like if you have something you want to do with someone, don't wait for five years or ten years. Like start that adventure now. Call that friend up that you want to do a road trip with, and uh, be, get out there and, and uh, follow your instincts. Look for the signs. Look for the semis um, turned over in the road and see if fortune is going to be in your favor that day. And if it's not, you can always wait another day. All right, folks, that was the first interview in the Dirtbag State of Mind podcast from the Climbing Zine. That was the first of our interview section that we're going to be doing um, as part of this podcast. And uh, the next interview, um, I don't actually know who that's going to be. <laughs> so uh, we'll just leave it at that. Uh, it's definitely going to be a character from the book. It could be 210 Timmy. It could be Timmy Folks. It could be Dave Ahrens. It could be Dave Marsanowski, a.k.a. 514 Gene. But we're going to get some folks in here and we're going to talk to them. And uh, just like Sean, um, 
it's it's really cool. It's you know the book is this rigid thing that uh, I know what happens. I I know I'm gonna read it, and and obviously I'm gonna be reflecting it on it, but. These conversations with my friends are, I think, going to be the most fun. And I think this first one really showed that. Um, Chad Rich is the producer for this uh, this podcast. And uh, for the Dirtbag State of Mind podcast from the Climbing Zine, I'm Luke Mehal, And this is coming at you from the world's creative climbing publication. Please be sure to listen and share with your friends. And as I always say, the number one way to support the Climbing Zine is to subscribe to it. Thank you very much.